Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 22 and read along with me. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Good morning. Very good morning to be together on the first day of the week. It's the day in which Christ rose from the dead, and I pray, I've been praying that this lesson be edifying to you and encouraging. So about two weeks ago, we looked at uh, the subject of God's Word and how powerful it is, how it can stand up and withhold anything, and how we need to hold to it. Last week, we looked at the subject of the church, its eternal purpose, and what we are to be about as Christians, making disciples of all the nations. This morning, I think we need to look at something very important as a beginning our new year, and I think it fits in right with the month of February as well, the subject of love, the greatest virtue in the Bible. And as we look at this description of love in the Scriptures, it's not often as many people would portray it or perceive it, even by many Christians. But as we look to Jesus Christ, He demonstrates the ideal example of love and what it means when He commands us to love our neighbor. The virtue of love is eternal, and we can see it in God. 1 John 4 and verse 8 tells us that God is love. And in fact, John is emphatic about that. He says it again in verse 16. God is love. And if we want to know our Creator and what He is about and what He's commanding us to do with the gospel, why is it that we take the gospel, the the message that Jesus Christ died for us, that He loved the world, that He gave Himself for us? Why are we taking that to the world? Why are we emphatic about that? Why are we standing upon God's Word the way that we do? And it's because of this, it's in God's very nature. Our God is the God of love, and that's what our faith is about. We need to always be ready. This week, I was able to um, ask at least one specific person some details about how they would describe what love looks like in Christian love. And so this brother said to me, it's what you do when you're outside of the house. It's the love that you show when you leave the house. So you might think about those you see that are in need and help. Maybe someone needs their car jumped off. Uh, Maybe you see even a woman at Walmart trying to lift up something heavy, and you're there. You're the kind of person who's going to go over there and help them. Do you love your neighbor? And as Christ tells us to do that, to love our neighbor, we're going to look at some of these passages this morning. We want to make sure that love is in our heart, that we are thinking about others, and that we are fully committed to Christ and showing that love. Now look at Jesus' example on how he showed love. So we see Christ healed the sick. He healed multitudes. Crowds came to Him. He laid His hands on them and healed them, demonstrating through Him God come in the flesh, God's love on the earth, just for the fact that He was healing the sick. We see His love in the fact that as the Scriptures say, He came proclaiming the truth and teaching the gospel. And I think that's a very important point we're going to talk about a little bit more, is that we want to preach the gospel to those that we love. We are not going to be hesitant. We're going to stand in the faith. We also see that Christ fed the hungry. 
And John chapter 6, I mean that in two ways, actually. He fed them with bread. He fed the 5,000. And again, some of them wanted just the food, and they kept following him. And he said, listen, if you're not going to feed from the manna, from the bread that's from heaven, you're not going to get any more than what I'm giving you. But I'm trying to give you the bread of life. We see that in John chapter 6. You know, some people kind of perceive the church the same way today. It's a place, a charity, where I can come and take and never care about the spiritual things. I just want the physical things. We also see this in Jesus' example. Jesus raised the dead. The widow's son, Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, risen from the dead. God demonstrates his love. And you can't help but see that in John chapter 11, the love that, that Jesus had for Mary and Martha and for those there who did not understand the resurrection and that, G- that Lazarus had died. And here Jesus trying to communicate to them, I am the resurrection and the life. You want hope you want, of eternal life. This is it. And then fifth, Christ was merciful and forgave sinners. I want to look at that example a little bit more in a little bit. But in Luke chapter 7, if you want to get ahead, look in verses 36 through 50. You want to know how to love God more? The Bible tells you how. You ever felt that way? I wish I loved this person more. I wish I could give more to them, be more focused upon them. And the Bible tells us that we, when we love God, we keep his commandments. Jesus said that in John 14, verses 23 and 24. He says, if you love God, you're going to keep his word. How can I grow in that love toward God? And when I, love, I grow in that love toward God, I can give that love to others as well. And then we see this. Jesus set the example of keeping God's commandments. Jesus made it clear, you know, if you love him, you're going to keep his commandments. But he himself said, the, what God has given to me, I have kept it. And he set an example of that. And that is so important that we as Christians realize that my love toward others doesn't just depend upon me being kind to others. It depends upon me obeying God's word. John taught this very clearly in 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. I want to look at that some more. And then when we think about the love of Jesus Christ, the most important thing we think about is his death on the cross for us. God came in the flesh. He suffered many horrible things. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we may think about those things, how much he was beaten and slapped and mocked, how he was scourged and whipped and his back was torn open. We might think about the crown of thorns that was pressed upon his head and the reed that they hit him with and beat him, calling him the king of the Jews. Christ endured a lot. He bore his cross as far as he could. On Golgotha, he was nailed to a cross, nails through his wrists and through his feet. He was lifted up from the earth, and he hung there for six hours in pain and torment, and he did that all for us. That should convict us. It should trigger love for him and what he has done for us. You see all of Jesus' love right there. Those seven examples I give to you, you might be able to add more to it. But you don't see Jesus going around all the time just saying simply, I love you. He showed his love. He demonstrated it in his actions, the way that he cared. This morning, we want to increase our love, how much we love God, how much that we keep God's commandments. How can we increase our love? Constantly, the example comes to mind of the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. Now, this happened more than once. As we see later on in the other Gospels, it happened toward the end of Jesus' life. But there, in the middle of his ministry, we see that this woman, who was known as a sinner, came into a Pharisee's house. 
And she got down on her hands and she let her hair down. In the ancient world, when a woman let her hair down, it's a sign of humility. In that time, we have certain scriptures that tell us about women who would braid their hair up elaborately and put gold and pearls in it. But the woman who was humble would let her hair down. And she did that and washed Jesus' feet. She demonstrated her love toward him and her plea for his forgiveness. We read this in Luke chapter 7, 47 to 48. Jesus said this about this woman. This is the conclusion. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Just previous before that, Jesus talked to Simon Peter and he said to him, listen, a moneylender had forgiven two men. One owed 500 denarii, another owed 50. Which one of him would love him more? And Peter said it was the one who owed 500 would love him more. Now what Christ is saying here is he's not saying that those of us who have just been forgiven of a few sins because we're kind of perfect and get everything right, that we should be looking at ourselves in that way or that we should love God less. What we should be seeing is that no matter how many sins that we commit in our life, we realize how great they are, how horrible they are, how much we need a Savior to die for us, and that our sin is no less than anybody else's. And so anybody who says, I, I've committed less than another, you need to look. You know, if we were to write down, if you could write down a list of all of your sins, how much paper would you need? I mean, it's more than you could count, wouldn't it? Books cannot hold sometimes the sins that we would write down and count out for ourselves and say, I've done this and I've done that. And the list goes on. And the only person I know that can save me is Christ. And what Jesus teaches here is that when we realize how great our sins are, how much he has forgiven what he's done for us, the more we're going to love him. So we wonder, why can't I love God more? Why don't I keep his commandments? And I think it all goes back to right here realizing how much he has forgiven us, how much he's given us and laid down his life for us. And that, that increases our love for him. What must we do to increase our love? We, we love him more, but we do this in the end, just as Christ laid down his life for the church, to save the church, to save all people and to give them hope of salvation. He tells us to do the same thing for our brethren. First John 3 and verse 16, John says this, by this, we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We know that when God's love is taking full place in our heart and Christ's love is within us, that's what we're going to do. We're going to lay down our lives for the church, for our brethren. What does Jesus' love look like in us? Jesus said this, on the night he was betrayed and the night before he was crucified, Jesus was with his disciples. I want you to listen to what he instructed them. In John 13, he says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now, someone might say, how is that a new commandment? The Old Testament commanded to love, did it not? It did. You know, love your neighbor, yes, love your neighbor. But here he says, a new commandment I give to you. How is it new? Because just as I have loved you. In those examples, we look at the beginning of this lesson. Just as I have loved you. That's how you are to love. He says, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We sang a song yesterday, Jimmy and Karen, for their going away party. And it was this, that we will be known by our love. So we look to the example of Christ. We listen to him right here. Disciples, the church is to be known by its love. 
On that same night, at Jesus' death, Christ urges disciples again to love one another. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Interesting thing about the word friends in the Bible is that it's the form of the word phileo. It's one of the words for love in the Bible. So, when you, for instance, when you hear the name of the city, Philadelphia, philo means love, delphia, or adelphia in Greek means brother or sister. And so the, the idea of a city of brotherly love, here we are reading Scripture telling us to love in that way. Love your brother, your adelphia, phileo them, the Scriptures say. And as Theron read for us this morning in Matthew 22, Read about the greatest commands. And we want to look this morning at the greatest commands and how we as Christians fulfill the greatest commands. The Sadducees and the the Pharisees, after Jesus had cleansed the temple, they were testing him and attempting to test him. And then lastly, a lawyer among some of the Pharisees went and questioned and tested Jesus. And this is what he asked Jesus. He said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? I wonder what the Pharisees would say and what the Sadducees would say or what they were expecting there. But what Christ had responded here, you cannot think of a better answer. And that alone demonstrates that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. To be able to read Scripture like this and to think nobody can give a greater answer than what Christ gave right here. Look with me in Matthew 22. If you have your Bible, you need to open up there. Matthew 22 and look in verses 37 and following. So he asked him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And someone might say, well, we're not under the law and the prophets today. Well, why is that? What's well, going to have to do with the love of Christ? And we're going to see that in a moment. The Christ answer is really wonderful here. All the law and the prophets hang on this. Of everything in the Old Testament you read about, here it is. Love. Number one, love God. That's the first commandment. As we know what the Bible says, you love God, you're going to keep his commandments. So it makes sense. Which is the greatest? The greatest is to love your God. Love him with all your heart, mind, and soul. As Mark says, Mark puts in the word strength. Love him with every part of your being. As Christians, we need to be able to sit here this morning and say, yes, I love God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind, and I can stand before God on the day of judgment and say that I love him. And he can look at the actions in my life and know that I love him. Can you do that? So I hear Jesus give the great commandments there, to love God and then to love your neighbor as yourself. It also makes me think about this. These are the greatest commandments. If these are the greatest commandments, and they are, what's the greatest sin? We're to love our neighbors. We're to love God. And yet we might hold resentment or sinful anger in our hearts toward others. Maybe we look down upon others. Maybe we condemn other people. It's not demonstrating the great commands. Maybe we have hatred in our heart or malice toward others. Maybe we lose control often and we, we, words come out of our mouth and can't take back. Maybe we're abusive to those around us, those that we're supposed to love the most. I hear these commands from Christ and I can't think of anything greater this world needs than for us to tell the 
gospel. So look at Christ, look at the way that he lived, look at the greatest commands. You know, some people today will say, you know, I don't need the Bible. I don't need someone telling me right from wrong. And they'll say, well, the Bible's just written by men. Yes, it's fully 100% human. It's also fully 100% divine and guided by God's inspiration. And they'll say that I'm fine with it. I have my own moral code, my own conscience. The problem with that is, is that as we look at humanity, do we corrupt our conscience? We can. Do we mess with our own moral code and allow ourselves to get away with things that we wouldn't allow others to get away with? You see, people who have their own moral code, their, their own way of living that they make up, they can't even keep their own morals. You talk to somebody, what do you believe? What are your top three morals? Say it's an atheist, and they'll tell you. They'll say, don't hurt anybody. Be kind to people. Love your family. And you ask them, have you ever broken any of those rules? What are they going to say? I've asked that question over and over again to atheists, unbelievers, those who don't believe, and every single one of them says, I have broken it. Even my own rules, I can't keep it. That tells us something. We need Christ as a moral corrective. We need the Bible. We need God's Word. Just as we sang before we got up here for the Scripture reading, give me the Bible. Give me those words. We need God's Word to set us straight. We need it to help us to love others. Some today would also ask the question, who is my neighbor? And one in the Bible did that. Specific man said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him the parable of the Good Samaritan. He tells about the priest and the Levite that passed the man who had been beaten and left on the side of the road until a Samaritan came by and took care of him and treated his wounds, put him up in an inn. We read about that in Luke chapter 10. Jesus says, who was the neighbor there? Well, that Samaritan treated that man who was nearest to him. In fact, the word neighbor means the person who is closest to you. And when I think about my neighbors, you don't think about just the people living in the house next to you. You need to first think about the people who are living in your house, how you love them and demonstrate your love, because it starts right there in the home, how fathers love their wives and love their children, how mothers love their husbands and love their children, how children obey their parents. And love starts there, and if it's corrupted there, it's going to be corrupted everywhere. But it starts right there in the home. That's where we start loving our neighbor the person closest to us. And then those that we work with, the people that we are in school with, we love them as well. I want you to think about that this morning. As we are about to finish up and we look at the greatest commands, I want you to notice how the law, how love fulfills the law and the prophets. In Matthew 22 and verse 40, as we read before, Jesus said, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All the law is right here, but then Christ also said something very similar to this before. In Matthew 7 and verse 12, in the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of his ministry, he said, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying, here it is. You want to sum up the law when you look at the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments are about loving God. The last six are about loving other people. And here we see it fulfilled in Christ. In fact, Christ said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Not one jot or tittle will pass away from it. I'm here to fulfill it. And Christ fulfilled the law and the prophets through love. You know, so we come to this today and we say, am I under the law today? Am I condemned by God for what I've done? And the Bible will tell us again that if we love others and we keep these greatest commands, we also fulfill the law. And we'll get to that in a moment. Again, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them 
but to fulfill them. And he did that in love. And here we see love fulfilling the law. Just as we read about the greatest commands from the very beginning there in Matthew 22, Paul explains it. He says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Notice that. The one who has loved another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. When we look at Christ and we look at his example, we see the fulfillment. We see the wonderful, amazing actions that should encourage us. Paul goes a little bit further. He says, we fulfill the law. Love fulfills the law. He read that. He mentioned that in Romans 13. But he also said this in Romans 8, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh cannot do. In other words, what's he saying here? The people in the flesh having God's law are not able to keep it and condemn sin and put it to an end. This is how it's done. It says right here, Paul says, By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What's he saying? Keep God's law, follow Christ. But again, it is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came in the likeness of sinful flesh, even though he did not sin. He condemned sin. He put an end to it. He brought us righteousness. He showed us another way to live in love. Love put an end to the law and its condemnation. This morning, I encourage you to think about love's impact, how it makes a difference in this world, how we as Christians in the church want to demonstrate ourselves as disciples not just by simply saying, I care for you or I love you, but to actually show it in our actions. We can see the impact of the greatest commands on this world, how it's changed, how Jesus Christ has shaped and changed this world by anybody who will listen to him and follow him. And because God exists, we also know that love exists. God is love. The truth of the matter is that if there is no God, then love is not a constant virtue. However, we see it's constant, it's beyond man, it's transcendent, it's eternal, and therefore we know that God exists by the fact that love exists. The more you know God's forgiveness, as we study this morning, in Luke chapter 7, the more you will love God. I encourage you this morning, think about what God has forgiven you of. Confess your sins to God. Walk in the light. It's the only way to have forgiveness of sins. John tells us in 1 John chapter 1. And then lastly, Love covers a multitude of sins. You ever had someone in your life who had hurt you or abused you, and it was hard to let go of it? You even confronted them about it, and they had no response to it. And as you go on through life, you notice that person began to change. They weren't that person anymore who hurt you. They weren't the person who abused you. You saw their repentance. You saw them maybe turn to God and give their life over to Him. Is that point that we can look at a multitude of sins on someone who has come for forgiveness, who has repented, and we can, out of love, forgive them? The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 17 that we are to forgive those who repent and confess their repentance. Encourage this morning, love like Christ did. I challenge you this week to think about what you can do to show Christ's love. Visit the sick and imprisoned. And Jesus emphasizes here in Matthew 25 because one day you'll be judged by that. Comfort with hope those who are mourning the dead. Give them hope of the resurrection and the final day. 
Tell them about Christ. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, Feed those who cannot repay you. Give to them. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus says, Confront sin and forgive those who repent. John reminded us we need to lay down our life just as Christ laid down his life for us. Lay down your life for the church. And he goes on there and says to those who are in need, give to those who are in need. At 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 through 3, John says, if you love your brothers and those who are around you, you're going to keep God's commands. Keep the commands of God, study the scriptures. And then lastly, the charge that's been given to us to take the gospel to the world, it comes from love. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5. That's why we preach. That's why we teach the gospel. We do it out of love. By love, Christ died for you. We give the invitation this morning. If you haven't obeyed the gospel of Christ, do it. Listen to what Christ has done for you. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows us love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This morning, I want to give you that message. Christ died for you. If you haven't died to this world and put on Christ in baptism and risen in newness of life, do that this morning. That's what the Scriptures teach is the gospel and how you obey the gospel. If you have fallen away from Christ, come back. Let us pray with you and encourage you. Whatever your needs may be this morning, we encourage you to come right now while we stand and while we sing. Please come.